You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you've been doing, whatever you are doing even, you are doing very well. The guest on this episode of the show is a bloke called Nick Jenkin, and he is one of the pair that make up the duo in Melbourne-based, in Capital. I really enjoy the band's music. Do go online and check it out. Let's have a listen to what Nick has to say. Here we go. Cool. How th- how's things been, mate, for you recently with the band and stuff? Um, it's going it's going well. So we launched over the weekend. Um, we had our launch at the Grace Darling Hotel, um, pretty iconic venue here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a ripper evening. We um, we actually ended up um, having uh, a couple of mates doing visuals for us. So they set up these lighting rigs at the back of the stage and. We had um, two bands supporting, so our, our mate actually opened the night, and then we had another Melbourne band, Glass Diamonds, open for us, and then, um, yeah, it actually all came together. Um, not not without um, incident on the night, my guitar site decided to um, stop working in soundcheck, so there was a bit of a mad rush to try and find it, mm. a replacement, but um, yeah, it's kind of um, audio um, it, it kind of just happens as you go. You kind of just roll with the punches, I think. So we we had a ripper night. Good on you. And I'm a musician myself, so I can definitely empathise. I run with the mantra of two of everything right down to amplifiers. Otherwise, yeah, you might be in the middle of a gig in Bundaberg, for example, and something fails. And if you don't have a spare battery or spare bass or guitar or whatever the instrument is you play, the only thing you could probably can't do is have a spare drum kit you know we understand that but my gosh everything else mate there's almost always room for for two of the instrument that you're playing otherwise to your point it just you know from my perspective it's all about confidence when i go up on stage if i have it is you know confidence it in the is, gear that it all works yeah yeah mate but that sounds that sounds great it's, so you were well received on the night we were so we had about um i think a bit over a hundred people there um and so uh, I, I we we got the crowd up and um, bopping as um, we like to do. So I, I think we've we've worked on a live show over there. We've probably been together about four years, so we've really worked hard on you know making sure that we just don't don't just turn up and just play. That we really engage with the audience and kind of give them a show. Um, so that's kind of the idea between. Um, getting you know a, a big light show going on and just um, you know really really giving the the punters a, a bit of a, a chance to come out and have a bit of a good time. I, I mean, a lot of a lot of the music that we make is um, is is quite it can be intense at times, but it's um, mm-hmm. the light-hearted stuff. We really we really get rocky and have a good time when we're on stage. So it's a lot of fun. The name of the new album is called Human Is, and I'm really enjoying it, I've got to tell you. I'm hearing elements of cut copy, the final VHS or beta album called Diamonds and Death, a little bit of synth wave in the vein of Com Trues, and finally Pink Floyd. But mate, how would you describe the album and the band's music to someone who's yet to become acquainted? <laughs> well, thank you very much, Andy. That's um, I, I like how you've thrown in a Pink Floyd reference there as well, because um, let me tell you... Um, David Gilmore, um, as a guitarist, is a heavily heavily influence on me. But nice. for some of the someone someone who probably hasn't heard it before, maybe that um, 
if Tears for Fears and the Drive soundtrack, maybe if they made Sweat Love, then maybe that's where we would come to. So Okay. So that's the film with um, Ryan Gosling. It is, yes. I so love that, that soundtrack. iconic soundtrack, yeah. Kavinsky, uh, College, those synth artists, they're phenomenal. You're a Kavinsky fan, I take it. Yeah, definitely. No, it's um, it's an absolute rip of that soundtrack. Good movie, okay. but even better soundtrack. That's so good to hear. You're the first person I've spoken to that actually references the music that's on that soundtrack as being an influence or something that's important. How did you end up getting into it? The Well, I think it's kind of... Maybe it was around... I can't really recall the exact time period, but it was probably about 10 or so years ago that that movie came out and pretty much everybody within our circle was obsessed with it. And I think the the soundtrack kind of became a bit of a soundtrack to everyone's lives at the time. You know, pretty much any party you would go to, you would hear, um, you know, whether it be washed out, that classic song from it um mm. or um oh that other song i forget the name real human being real human being um, by the band college phenomenal song yeah it's, an, it's i'll tell you yeah, i'll share this amazing. with you quickly that song's really important to me because it's a song that i listened to on repeat the day i found out my father passed away so to your point that yeah it was quite a while ago that that one came out but it's such an ethereal song and the lyrics in it too are so Man, I don't know where she got them from, but she's pulled them from somewhere cosmic. Let me say that. Cap- captivating, isn't it? It's yes. um, yeah. It's interesting how music um kind of it. You remember periods in your life through music um because it's the eternal. Or it's kind of like a it's a place you can go when things aren't you know, like you said, it isn't the best time for you or even. You know, at happier moments, you can kind of pinpoint parts of your life when you you are listening to a particular piece of music, and in this case, uh, a lot of the drive soundtrack around that time was really, I, I guess it was um, it was when we were in our, or myself and Cam were in our probably mid twenties around there. So you're kind of in the the heyday where you're kind of uh, pretty carefree. There's um, not much you really care about, and you're just um, kind of just living life, not not really with not not much of a care in the world. So it's a it's a pretty nice time to recall. It is, it is, yeah. It's well framed what you mentioned there. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just actually I'm I'm taken aback because I just haven't spoken to anybody else that that's, that is interested in the soundtrack there, and I've spoken to a lot of people at this point, almost 300 artists, and this is the first time it's referenced and. The soundtrack is definitely in my, my top 10 albums ever and uh, Real Human Being and I was always into Kavinsky. I got into Kavinsky right way back in 2005 on whatever the EP was that he released back in those days uh, with Testarossa Overdrive. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot yeah, of that, yeah. Uh, yeah, that Canadian and that French synth and Dirty Electro, I still listen to to this day from that era, from that era and it's it's still music. I heard... Confident. When I heard Confidence Man, you probably know who Confidence Man are, of course. I could hear a lot yeah. of that in the beats that they were putting there. So it's music that still bubbles along in the underground, and it's music that mm. influences the influences. Yeah, totally. I think, um, yeah, good reference to Confidence Man. They're clearly and they're they're doing great things. Um, but it's it's 
even their kind of music, it's um, it's exactly what it says it is. Um, yeah, and plus they put on a banging show. I remember strolling down the, mm. I think so was I, I was at Meredith, um, so that iconic festival in Victoria, mm-hmm. um, and they just had the crowd act absolutely in the palm of their hands, and it was mid-afternoon, and it was just an absolute party going in the in the supernatural amphitheater there. But um, you're going back to the Drive soundtrack. Um, it, it's interesting how the in in some ways soundtracks are kind of um, I mean we're influenced by the the Blade Runner soundtrack, like um, like going back to. Angelus and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So I think that the kind of synth nature of the Drive soundtrack was just something that we really gravitated towards because we just, I mean, it harks back to times of the 80s of synth-type music, but it was just in this really accessible pop um, kind of bow where you could just go, I, actually, that there's actually really great songs underneath all these great synth sounds. Mm. Yeah, you probably get into a lot of movies from the era too, like uh, The Wraith. Have you seen the film The Wraith? The Wraith? No. I'll have to, I'll have to put it on the watch list. Recommended. Highly recommended. Yeah, certainly if, you, if you're referencing Blade Runner, which I think is that's actually my favourite film of all time. And I, and I thought mm-hmm. Ryan did a tremendous job in the second one. I've forgotten what it's called, but the one that was released last year, I thought he did an outstanding job. And interestingly enough, mate, he treated Drive as his audition for Ridley Scott, I think he's the director, for Ridley Scott to view that film and say, this is how much I want to do Blade Runner. Watch my performance in Drive. Wow. Okay, so if you go back and watch Drive again, you'll notice that he's very, very... It's it's a cliche to say it's robotic, but he's moving without emotion, I think is the way that he's described it. And it was an audition for his role in Blade Runner, and he just nailed it in both accounts. For a guy that what, was almost what did you a, think of that? he was almost a Backstreet Boy, so he's come a long way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah, no, you're not wrong there. <laughs> what did What did you think of the the soundtrack of the latest one? Yeah, excellent. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, yeah. I thought mm. see, see as a, uh, to compare the soundtrack that Daft Punk contributed to Tron, The Return or whatever mm. that the, I thought that was shit. They missed it completely. Mm. I think there. Um, I couldn't name check the artists on the soundtrack that's on the Blade Runner, the second Blade Runner there, but no, it, it married up beautifully. I thought that there was way too much space between the actual beats, so the flow was incorrect, and I love Daft Punk right, by the way. They're one of my favourite favorite collectives ever. But yeah, I mine think, too. But I think that was one, and feel free to disagree with me, of course, on this one here, but I think that's one example where those, <laughs> those two didn't quite get it right. Well, it's... I mean, it's it, it's an interesting beast, Tron, because in some ways I really loved some of the the, the filmmaking and the the kind of story that they had. But it, it was it was very much a Disney film, so mm-hmm. it's it kind of how. And then you compare that to the original, and the original is just you know it's so um, it's so got so much less money behind it but it's mm. just completely different but um yeah i'd actually agree with you i'd say it wasn't daft punk's best work i'd say there were some moments in there where i really loved like um some crazy sound in the 
that mm-hmm. kind of main 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 song that I had in it. Sure, yeah, that was and a good one. Yeah, in there. Um, but it it didn't have the the feel of like a Vangelis or a Jean I mean, Michael Jarre. The, the latest, none of those guys. It just yeah. that's exactly what it missed. Yeah, the Vangelis and Jean Michael Jarre thing. Yeah, it just wasn't quite on mm. point with that one there. I think they went a bit too synthy. It probably could have had some organic instruments in the mix, which Daft Punk have always done. And mm. yeah, I yeah it was. I actually bought the album, and I was. I don't think I've listened to it much beyond two or three listens um, in the car, which is when I typically have an opportunity to listen to things properly. Because of course, when I try to listen to things before I go to bed, I end up going to sleep after thirty seconds or a minute, so I miss the whole thing. Mm. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. I'm just trying to think of other films that have had really good, iconic soundtracks in in that vein. But really, I can only think of drive as really appealing to me in that manner but can you think of any others that have had a great synth soundtrack not off the top of my head because i guess um in in there's one thing that's really clear in all those um you know in drive and in blade runner the soundtrack is so good that it stands on its own as a piece of the movie whereas Mm -hmm. usually soundtracks are kind of a supporting Material to to the the body of work that's already been produced. So I think yeah, that's the, the the clear is when you actually remember the soundtrack is you know when it's that good that you, you kind of listen to it on its own. So yeah, I mean there's the the ones from back in the day too, like the Titanic soundtrack and the Top Gun soundtrack, but none of that sort of music appeals to to probably guys like you and I. So for for drive for for a movie like Drive to have Bought in artists, and I understood that they specifically asked those artists to contribute. Now, I know Kavinsky had already had his track out, which was Nightcall, the year prior. I think they had come out the year prior mm. on an EP. But they were so taken with that, and of course it marries up so beautifully with those opening sequences when they're travelling over LA, and it's either a helicopter or a drone that they're doing it. But it just, mm. you couldn't have been any other song to suit that opening sequence, I don't think. No, I'd agree with that. Um, there's something about the soundtrack that is just so beautifully married to the visuals. Um, it just goes, you know, it's seamless almost. Let's talk about your wonderful music. So I've been listening to your, I've been listening to it quite a bit, I've got to tell you. I've put it on. Well, the, thank you. So I've, I've actually had it on in the background with friends, family or guests are visiting. That's where I've, I, liked, I like for music to find a place in my life and that's where your music is working for me. But I need to ask, what is the intent behind creating your music? Is it, purely a creative pursuit or do you have some commerce in mind as well and the reason i ask that question is because it could actually cross over into mainstream radio a lot of your stuff oh well thank you um i think commerce is not the in in the pure sense of the word of actually making money from it that's not what we are interested in we're we're interested in getting it out there and kind of I just think, I guess seeing where it takes us, I mean, we kind of have this um, this view that we'd love to play Golden Plains Festival in Melbourne at some point or Meredith um, is kind of a dream. So that's that's really the, the, the target that we set ourselves. In terms of actually making the music, um, it's a very, yeah, I guess commerce doesn't really come into it at all because mm. we are, Self-run, self-funded. Um, we we are DIY, so our recording process is very much um, just us two. 
um, really the only time that we get someone else involved is when we're getting our friends to give you know, the tracks a listen when they're getting towards being finished or we go to mastering and um, get it mastered down here at Deluxe Mastering with um, Adam Dempsey. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very much um, not... not uh, we don't we don't think of commerce, I guess, when we're trying to put it together, um, and it's very much just getting in that creative process and just seeing what comes about. Um, so yeah, here's somebody. As soon as I heard your music, there was one name that came to mind. Now I use my intuition a lot when I'm when I'm thinking of these sorts of things. So the one name that came to mind that would be a great collaborator for you guys would be Kylie Minogue. Now her album really? from yeah yeah. Now bear with me while I explain this. Her album from, mm-hmm. I think it was year 2000 or 2001, the one that had, um, the album's called Light Years, and it had a track on it called On a Night Like This. And what she did there was a bit oh, like... Back, yeah? Yeah, remember that track? So it is... You're right, mate. Sorry, it's just ringing up. If I recall, that track was... Um, quite a dancey number. It was probably the first dancey number she'd released. I, I think she had a song that kind of goes, got to put this business to bed. Um, uh, but so, then this, this was kind of like removed from all the stuff she'd done before and it was kind of the, the, the first real dancey track. It was. It was It was a bit It was moody stuff, so it had a similar atmosphere to your, your music. It was clear, don't get me wrong, it was clearly not written by her, though, as none of her stuff is. Um, at the very least, it's a collaboration, but it was someone like, remember when Madonna did music? Was it music or the one that she did? Ray of Light in 1998 with William Orbit. And mm. she brought him in to update his sound, and we all know what happened after that. Her career just even went, she became twice as big as what she was before that, and she was already enormous. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Where, I'm, where I'm bringing the reference in is that because you're, you, you can bloody well play the guitar, so I'm a musician, and I can tell you know what's going on with that guitar. Marrying that up, oh, with, well, marrying that up with your electronic music sensibility, she could do far worse, mate, than to reach out to yourself and say, "What do you think about just working on a demo?" Mm. If that ever, if that opportunity ever came up, presented itself, do you think you'd take it? Absolutely, I think. Um, I think. Um, I guess the body of work that we've done thus far and kind of um, is kind of say yes to opportunities. It's um, Mm. very much, um, I think we're quite humble in our approach to music and kind of songwriting and, um, you know, we'd like to think that the music stands on its own, but I think um, you'd be silly to pass off an opportunity to work with a massive pop star like Kylie Minogue if that opportunity did present itself. So, um, plus I think, um, female vocalists and kind of synth music, um, it is a really great combination. So, Indeed. yeah, yeah, it is. So talking about the album again, were the songs the product of a lifetime of writing or did it come together rather quickly for you? Well, um, our, our recording process, I guess, is somewhat unique, probably not so much these days with the invention of, um, basically the, the mobile recording studio. So basically, Cam and I, the, the band actually started from a recording experiment um, where we went down to the Victorian coast and recorded um, 
well, we, we went down thinking we might come back with two tracks um, and we came back with seven. And then our first EP was born from that. And so essentially there was a kind of process in that we found really worked for us. So we'd go down, we actually recorded this album in the Grampians National Park, for those that don't know. It's actually a huge mountain range in Victoria, a really beautiful mountain range. And so we went down there and um, and essentially I sent, sent Cam um, probably about a week prior a bunch of music that I was working on at the time. And Cam soaked up a few that he actually found he was... Um, that, that he, he was gravitating towards at the time. Mm-hmm. And so then when he spent 10, 10 days in the Grampians overlooking Mount Sturgeon um, into a valley um, on this farm stay and just um, lived and breathed music for 10 days. So essentially majority of the, the actual, the songs on the album were um, recorded down there. So I'd say there were probably two, maybe three or four that we kind of had the, the bones of when yep. we went down. But, um, yeah, majority was done within those those um, 10 days down in the Grampians. It sounds beautifully polished, so it's a really well-produced album. How did you record it? Was it on Pro Tools or a similar door? Similar door? And how did, you, how did you then go about the process of mastering it, or who did you send it to for mastering so we and and thank you. Um, we recorded through Ableton. Um, so yeah, okay. I actually studied um, music um, at SAE here in Melbourne. I actually took some time off work and did a course for about a year part time and just mm. learnt the craft of recording. And so that means that I'm able to engineer when. You know, Cam's doing a vocal take or I can jump up and do a guitar take or we can do BVs kind of as on the fly. It just means we've got a lot of flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, yeah, it took, we recorded, um, we then spent nine months mixing it. And so that was a collective nice. thing. It's yeah. a really great thing to be able to, you know, mix in your room. But then Cam comes in and he's got a very, very keen ear because he's a filmmaker and he, he's very good at editing. He knows when something's finished, so it's really great to have that ear. Um, whereas my my strength is probably in arrangement and, you know, kind of arranging the stereo picture, so it's kind of full and lush, and there's stuff going on here, there, and everywhere, and EQing stuff in the right way. Mm-hmm. And then when it was finally done, we um, sent it off to... Adam Dempsey at Deluxe Mastering. So mm-hmm. it's really the that's that's where we kind of put the finishing touch on when we're we're ready for it to be mastered and it's kind of a nice end to that whole process if when you can say, Yep, it's done, it's ready for mastering. And Adam's really great as well because he'll he'll give you feedback too, which I, I think is pretty unique, you know, a mastering engineer that'll come back and say, you know, the bass is a little bit much here. I'll probably pop some more um, shelf EQ on there, or you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of highs in this track. And you know, he just um, he, he's very good at giving feedback that's in a very um, constructive manner. Mm. So, yeah. 
So I can see in one of the photos that you got on Facebook that you've got the Roland Juno keyboard there, but what about a TR-08 or a SPD-SX sampling pad? What gear did you use when you were recording it all? Um, so it, we run um, everything through um, a Focusrite. It's like a four-in, it's got four mic pre's in it. Um, I've got the same one. Uh, I yeah. guess we, Is that the red one? Yeah. The crimson one? Great. It's um, red, I think. Red, it's called Scarlet. Yeah, the Scarlet 4. Four I is that right? Four I. Yeah, four I think I, it's a eighteen eighteen I eight. So yeah, we've got the same one. So yeah, it's a great little unit. So mm-hmm. basically, Indeed. I mean, I've acquired some more gear. I mean, every every time, every time we record something, I kind of find new gear that I kind of want to get. I mean, I'm looking at a mic free at the moment that I've just acquired. It's a Sevatron, but we didn't use that in that process. Basically, the vocals were recorded with a Rode K two. Um, the BVs were recorded with an SM7B, um, so a Shure. The um, guitars always recorded with an SM57, kind of off-axis a bit, mm-hmm. just for, to let a bit of air come out. Um, acoustic guitars are recorded in triple track through that Rode K2 again. Mm-hmm. Um, we recorded bass through a AKG D112, so a kick mic that's really got on lows. Um, the what else? Oh, the synths are usually just DI, but um, you know sometimes I'll stick it through an amp as well. So that's the Roland Juno. Of course, yeah. And I also got another a digital synth that doesn't sound as great, but um, essentially I'll stick that through DI as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just um, it's interesting the change from the EP to the album where it just became more about performance and you know getting the right tones and you know chasing that analog sound and now it's basically what we're all about you know um, it's trying to find a way where you do justice to the instruments that you that you've got and. The Roland Juno is is one mighty instrument in that process. It sounds amazing. Mm. So yeah. What about the guitars and the basses that you decide to use? Do they have any impact on your sound? So, for example, do you have? I've got a Strat, and it's a really dark sounding Strat, which is really good for playing rock and roll, as I like to do. But, um, mate, what sort of guitars were you using? Um, so, I use actually a Yamaha Strat copy that I've used that I actually got. Um, when I was 16 that I've had for ages, but it's just a really great player and it just, it has a very sweet sounding pickup for clean sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but my main guitar I use is a, is a Gretsch Electromatic um, just because I like the jangly sound and coupled that when it's up loud, it sounds amazing. So there's a track on the album called Universal Man where I think there's a bit of a guitar solo in there and that was just, with a lot of distortion, a lot of fuzz, and just cranked up yep. going through a Vox, Vox amp. Um, so it was just chasing. I think that's one thing that we've, um, Cam and I bring to the table is we kind of chase sounds that are, um, that are, un- that are unique. Um, you know, I, I guess a, a Gretsch is probably not the the most what well, iconic guitar, but 
you know, they just sound great when they're out loud. So, oh, very popular. A lot of musicians I know use them and love them. You tend to find people who use Gretsch won't use anything else. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm sold on them. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I broke mine over the weekend, but I, you know, it's got me looking online for the next one because it, it's actually a semi-hollow body. So it's a essentially, I think, like a jazz guitar, but it's a bit cumbersome when you're trying to play a solo. Um, but yeah, it's got me thinking maybe I need more of a lightweight one because like a a Fender Strat is just so much easier to play sometimes. Oh, they are. They're the Holden Commodore or Ford Falcon of working musicians really, aren't they? And they just deliver every time in my experience. Yeah, they just... Yeah, them or the Mate and Master sounds are also very good too if you're looking for another option. You can buy them quite cheaply secondhand these days as well. Mm. Yeah, iconic sounds. Mm. What's the public's response been like to the album? Has it been where you wanted it to be? Have you got a lot of positive feedback from people who, you know, the the, the thing is, is that you want this music obviously to reach as many ears as possible without compromising your artistic integrity. So do you get a lot of people like me giving you very enthusiastic and positive feedback about it? Yeah, I think generally, I think, um, I think that some the the hardest thing um i guess a lot of the time is to actually have the time to sit down and listen to it and um obviously you've done that so thank you for for taking a listen no problem. Um, yeah it's 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 kind of a body of music i guess where we sequence it in a way where it made more sense when you listen to it all the way through because i guess some of the music is a bit removed from one another, but they kind of all flow together when you listen to it in a collective group. So I think, yeah, generally the feedback has been very positive. Um, and it's quite clear that even though there's maybe three or four different variations of favourites, generally the favourites are centering around the ones that we always thought were the strongest. So it's really nice to hear it's, I guess we've, you know, we've had it in the in the the making for so long. It's just really nice to get it out there and get people's views on it. And you know, the the greatest thing is when someone tells you that they really enjoy the song, and hmm. it just, yeah, it, it makes it all worth it. Um, not that it wasn't, but yeah. Probably my most common question that I ask Australian artists is this: Is this one here? How can you broadcast your wonderful music to? as broad a possible audience as you can. So I'm talking about not just the Australian market, the Asian market in particular, I think, for Australian artists is just for whatever reason we don't focus on it, which I don't I don't know why. I mean, my wife's half Filipino, so we spend a lot of time in the Philippines, and they love Australian music over there, especially the sort mm. of music that you're producing here because they're all about family and getting together. And when you go into pubs and well, their version of pubs and clubs, uh, which are more like um, cocktail bars, this is the sort of music that I would expect to be hearing played in the background. So how can you reach an, an appreciative audience, do you think? Um, it's an interesting one because, um, I mean, we've been around for probably about four years in total. I think it's, um, I think you have to start local, especially in Melbourne. Melbourne's such a, I mean, I'm sure it is in Brizzy as well. There's always such great bands coming out of pretty much every, Australian city, but you kind of need to conquer essentially the local audience. Um, and I, I guess we're not 
we're trying not to get ahead of ourselves and that, that we kind of need to do some time in the pubs and here and just um, kind of get a, a following locally. But, you know, if there was, um, I guess we don't really know about the avenues to get it out, you know, within yeah, the Asian market. One. So, yeah. Yeah, I know it's a tough one. Um, it's something that we'd um, we'd definitely be open to to suggestions from from anybody. But um, yeah, I think um, our focus is going to be locally, and I think maybe that's what a lot of bands are taught: focus locally, mm-hmm. and then build your craft as you go. Mm, indeed. So on your Facebook page, you mentioned Le Bon Ton, which is a restaurant, cocktail bar and absinthe saloon in Collingwood, I believe. So is that important to you, that business? Or are you involved in it somehow? <laughs> no, it's um, it's actually sort of a joke. Um, it, it's actually got more to do with our rehearsal space. So oh, right. we okay. actually rehearse. We, <laughs> we, we rehearse in... Um, we re- I'd actually forgotten that we'd wrote, written that. Um, Cam's, you know, he's got a good sense of humour, but basically <laughs> our rehearsal space is probably about a 10-minute walk from the Bonzon, and so we would smash out like two or three hours of rehearsal, go and have a dinner break and head to Le Bonzon, and it's quite a heavy meal. So you go in there and you have, you know, a, a, a smoked cheeseburger on. It, it's kind of deep south. Americana foods. Okay, yeah. They go on there, they've got, you know, there's great beers, um, great cheeseburgers, great music, you know, kind of bluesy kind of um, Americana playing and then you stumble out of there and go back <laughs> and try and bust out the rest <laughs> of the set while you're just um, burping back all that beer and all that, that cheeseburger that you just ate. So, yeah, the yep. Bon Ton is, a, is an experience. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine, mate. I do envy you guys down there, I've got to say. I used to be an account executive for Telstra, so I used to spend a lot of time in Melbourne. And, my God, the eating places and the establishments where you can drink beer and God knows whatever else. I mean, I know it says Absinthe Saloon. I don't even think we have an Absinthe Saloon in Brisbane. I know they tried one down on the Gold Coast. It didn't last, but we just don't have the population here that gets into that indoors lifestyle. We're far more about the outdoors here is the cliche. But it's... um, I think it's... um there's, there's something to like about both cities. I think, um, you know, I spent a little bit of time in Brizzy and um, it, it's a very likeable city for different reasons. You know, Melbourne is does have a lot going on, but it also has the weather going on and it's just starting to get a bit cooler now. So you're kind of like, well, staying in Brizzy for a while would be quite nice. Yeah, you know, guys have up north so yeah yeah i think i was getting into the car after taking the kid taking the kids to their swimming lessons and it was still 31 degrees and that was about according to the car anyway and that was quarter past six in the evening so <laughs> there you go it, it felt felt like a bit of an onset of winter today in melbourne i ride my bike to and from work so um yeah, yeah it's uh it's it's getting fresh put it that way all right well, that's about it from me, mate. Now, for people out there that are listening, how can they get in touch with you and how can they find out about your wonderful music? You've obviously got your Facebook page, but where else can they discover what you guys are doing? So, yeah, if they want to keep um, updated with what's going on with the band, facebook.com forward slash in capital. Um, we're also on Spotify, so the album um, up there for listening. Um, just stick a follow on on Spotify when you go there and you'll be kept up to date with everything. When we release new music, um, there's no plans to release some 
just yet, obviously, with the album just out, but we do have recording booked in for November this year. So, hmm. have you um, have you got uh, merch on offer and and other ways that people can support you guys financially? I think um, the the main thing at the moment is probably just getting the follows up on Facebook um, and and on Spotify. So if people want to support us, it's probably going to be through the online mediums. Um, so obviously we'd be super appreciative of that. But in terms of merch, no, nothing just yet. Um, but as as demand comes, I guess we would look into that. So mm. yeah. Actually, final question: You're playing any shows interstate, particularly here in Brisbane? We would love to come up to Brizzy. Um, I think um, there's been a few questions about whether we would come up come up to the north, and um, we've got a few things on the blower at the moment, just ch- trying to lock down a few things. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you guys will be the first to know if we're coming up your way, so we'll definitely be hitting up you guys at 4 triple Z. Um, Excellent. Yeah, wonderful, so, yeah. mate. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I'll certainly be in the audience when you guys do perform. That'd be awesome. Thanks, mate. This has been a wonderful chat. It's an excellent album, this one you've got here. I implore anybody out there that's even slightly into electro-themed pop and rock music to get into this stuff here because I think it's probably the best electronic release that I've heard all year. I've got to hand it to you about that, and my God, I get a lot of releases to listen to, but this one's really stood out. I'm not just saying that to blow smoke up your ass. It truly is an excellent album, and I feel like it's an album too that I can listen to over a couple of years and it's not going to get old. And that's that's a real compliment as far as I'm concerned because, as I say, i got a lot of stuff. That's very kind of you. You know, you know I, I, it, it's the case. I mean, I, I listen to stuff and then I go back to it and three months, four months later, I think, God, that already sounds a bit stale, to be frank. But your stuff, um, here's another band I'll throw at you, is Icehouse. Some of their stuff that they did when they had um, whoever was that was doing the remixes for them. And I can't remember the name of the album that they released, but they released a, a remix album in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and it reminded me a little bit of that I th- and wow. well, yeah and it's look all of this drills down to the fact that the music is is accessible and it really should be able to reach a really broad audience I just hope that when you roll the dice you come up double sixes so to speak and well, you know you pick your number on the roulette table mate and, and, and something really nice happens for you guys because I think you deserve it well thank you thank you very much for that Andy I really appreciate the kind words and you know um, kind of hearing those words makes it all. Um, I guess all all the the time and effort you put into it, it actually it makes it all worth it. Like I said before, not not that it it really we need it because we just love doing it so much. But it, it's really just mm. um, lovely to hear those words. So thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure, mate. My name is Andrew Mackay Smith, and you are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. That was my conversation with Nick Jenkin, one of the two members in Melbourne-based In Capital. Thank you so much for listening.